Welcome to Honey Roast, a wholesome hope punk podcast where every other week, guest stars roast a creator that they love and are inspired by. Together, we're bringing a little more love and hope in the world and introducing listeners to new creators through sweetness and delight. A major thank you to our Indiegogo producers who helped make this show a reality. Robert Anderson, Robert Vandemotter, Alex Hensley, Kyle Decker, Richard Kreutz-Landry, and Ryan Bolter. It's like someone, someone important is like holding her hand. This is Honey Roast. Like, I didn't know that people could write like this. I didn't know that people could tell stories like this. I like to hope that I can, my life path reconnects to his. I'm Tess, and I'm your host. Hi, I'm Eric Silver, and this week I'm honey roasting Michael Shabon, acclaimed author and awesome person. Ooh, I don't think I know Michael Shabon. This is exciting. Ooh, I'm here for it. Okay, it's exci- I am. I'm ready to tell you all the things. Perfect. Then first, tell me about Michael Shabon. Okay, Michael Shabon is an author of literary fiction of all genres of fiction, and he's also an essayist as well. He is married to Ayelet Waldman, who is also a writer, uh, which is important for what I'm about to explain later. Um, He has written two of my favorite books of all time, and has also written some very important novels to me that are not necessarily my favorite, but I know are, like, important to me, like, as a person and as a creator and as a person who likes to write things down and also, like, as as a soft Jewish boy. (laughs) <laughs> so there are, uh, it spans the, the bounds of all the things that I care about. Oh, I'm very excited to dive right into it. Yes, 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 yes. I want you to start by telling me about your first ever interaction with Michael Shabon's work. Hmm. Okay, so I've been thinking about this, and I don't know if I know the specific moment about when I've picked up one of his books or read each one. But there is a series, there are three that are really important to me. They're first in a different sort of way. So the first book that I ever read by Michael Shabon is called Summerland. This was his YA novel. And Summerland is all about uh, a kid who's not very good at baseball and lives on this magical island uh, outside of, I think it, it must be Washington, um, and it like never rains and everyone is super into baseball on the island. Uh, and then he falls through like a magical, like Native American mythology inspired like hole in the world and has to do like mythological, like tall American tale, uh, barnstorming with a baseball team. And it's just like this combination of Americana and sports and mythology and like tall tales that was really accessible to me as a I think I picked it I must have picked this up in middle school and it's like 500 pages so it's a really weighty sort of book and I found this and it's like oh I didn't know that people could write like this that I could combine all the things that I cared about so much in one book like you could write about things that you that 
you liked and you could write about sports you could write about this the feeling that sports could tell you but you can also write about combining that with magic realism and mythology and i think i've read the, i think i've read summerland 15 times at least is there something particular about the feeling of reading the book like the you said it's like a, a big book it's like heavy having read it so many times how do you feel when you pick that book up is it a sense of nostalgia is it that feeling of how heavy the book is and knowing how you're going to feel while you're reading the book yeah i it's more like i compare reading summerland to i think the initial conceit of the book it's like you think you're living your life especially as this like 12 13 year old who's not really good at things yet and then you step through this portal which you think is just like in the woods but actually leads to this mythical land in between realities and you're transported there and you find yourself and you find the things that you're good at and you learn and you grow along the way and you make friends and your mind kind of expands so when i pick it up it feels like um not to mix uh, children's literature, but it feels like a portkey. It feels like it's taking me somewhere else. It's a portal into another world. So whenever I pick it up, the weightiness of it is like, yes, this is mine. I'm going to carry it around. The weight of it feels very like present to me. It's like someone, someone important is like holding your hand. As you'll hear later, Eric recommended that I read the Yiddish Policeman's Union first, but the library had other plans, and Summerland became the first one available for me to check out. If you've never read Summerland, it's a hefty book considering it's a YA novel. It's about the same length as Uprooted or Shadow of the Wind, which is to say that it's not short. One of my favorite authors, Neil Gaiman, once wrote when writing a review on Summerland, it's hard to get cooler than Michael Chabon. With this in mind, I couldn't wait to dig in. And gosh, it was gripping. The first line had me hooked as it read, I did believe in fairies. I did, I did. This story was completely enjoyable and took me to places I really didn't expect to be taken. Do you often, when you're reading it, do you find yourself like getting lost to what's going on outside of you? Like, Oh, absolutely. If somebody's talking to you, do they have to like repeat themselves? <laughs> I was a kid who read voraciously. Now, of course, like the internet and podcasts have consumed my brain, so I don't read nearly as much. But I, I, I'm the kind of person who reads uh, in, in large chunks, you know? Like, I look up and it's 1 a.m. And I'm like, oop, my bad. I got to finish this chapter, though. And then, and then I look up again and it's 4 a.m. <laughs> uh, and I finish the whole book. Most notably, I read Ready Player One in about 12 hours straight, I think. Because, it, I mean, in a different way, it spoke to me. But not in, like, the, the, the clear, I don't want to say, I want to say wholesome way that Summerland did because it really was a YA novel. Right. But yeah, oh, it, it, it really takes me away. Like, I'm gone. I, I'm <laughs> in this world. And the thing is, I bought into it so hard because they're, they're like, the world, when we're talking about world building, I mean, you're, you're stitching together so many different types of mythology. Like, the two that really stand out are Native American and Tall Tale Americana sort of ways. And then, of course, there's, like, more classical giants and elves and fairies and stuff. But I think that it, it, it's not like I have to go to ancient Greece 
to care about this thing. It feels like it could happen right outside my home. Like, I had woods when I was growing up. I could walk over there and then a uh, three-foot-tall Native American man and three-fingered brown, who was a Negro League player, by the way, would, like, recruit me to, like, be a hero and, like, do heroic things with my catcher's mitt. So it's like it could totally have happened. So do you feel like Michael Chabon's work amplified your imagination when you would go out to play as a 12, 13 year old kid reading this? Or do you feel like it introduced you to that style of imagination or imaginative play? It introduced me to that style. That's a really good way to say it. It definitely introduced me to that. Like, I didn't know that people could write like this. I didn't know that people could tell stories like this. And then I'm like, oh, yes, here I am. Maybe I could I could be a part of this or I could do something bigger. And I think this is also related to, I mean, Summerland was like the first step there. And then I picked up another book. It's like, it's like these are first in like different parts of my life. So it's like wanting to be more than just as in front of me was, was Summerland. And then his other book, his first novel, which was like, I now realize as someone who went to college at NYU where people, everyone was trying to write their first novel around <laughs> me. And I also tried to write my first novel. He wrote Mysteries of Pittsburgh which was a book that I also read voraciously and is my favorite book of all time, but I've read constantly. And it is a real first novel written by a guy in his early 20s. And then it became, I became like, as I was in high school and college, it really consumed me and demonstrated a, like a world that I wanted to be a part of in my early 20s, like out of college or a, col a college student then out of college. It's like... Um, Similar to Welcome Columbus in that it's like a summer novel, like it only happens over a summer after this guy graduates from Carnegie Mellon. So this guy is 22. And then it just comes like this whirlwind sort of story. Gatsby also is a, is a summer novel. I didn't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. But it, only takes, it only takes place over three months, technically. Or it's like May to August hmm. or something. But yes. So it really combined a lot of like tropes that I already knew about and... At the same time, it, like, opened up a whole different world. I'm like, oh, man, look at the, the amount of, like, terrible love I could get into. And, like, that sort of painful, like, heart-aching love you can only get into someone when you're in your early 20s. And it's like, oh, like, bisexuality exists. That's cool. Look at this, this very beautiful man who you could also fall in love with. And, like, look at this larger-than-life character. So this larger-than-life thing, there there's this line, uh, this section where art and his two friends, Cleveland and Arthur, go out to uh, Cleveland's summer, like this this summer house outside of uh, outside of Pittsburgh. And they're just like sitting on the beach talking about stuff as you do in first novels. <laughs> as you do. And there's this whole heart where you talk about like big and bigness. And there is this phrase that I remembered. It's the manifestation of the will to bigness. It's like wanting to be bigger than be wanting to be larger in life. And I'm like, yeah, like, that's it. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, that's it. Yeah. It's like wanting to be larger than the story about yourself becoming a story, being even larger than that. I think there's a real extension between Summerland, I guess, from extension for me growing older from going from YA novel to like a literary fiction novel. And then for Michael Chabon in the opposite direction, writing this thing, writing this literary novel and then turning into like a, a straight up mythological young adult novel like I, f I felt a real through line between the two of them uh, which I just the stories about you become bigger than who you are just as a person or as a human 
I think that's something also that connects us so deeply is we all want to be bigger or like we all want to be this this bigger, better person than we think we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Why is Michael Shabon so important to you? Like, what is it about how he writes, like specific about about him as an author himself or about his works that you really connect with in a very deeply personal way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there are a few different things. But first of all, Michael Chabon writes beautifully, amazingly well. The thing, the quote that I had was actually from the last page of Summerland, which doesn't give anything away. It's just a description of uh, the main character, Ethan, playing catcher. And this is what how I felt. I was looking at like, the sensory feeling of it. I would love for you to read it to me. So this is from this is from the last two pages of Summerland. Again, not a spoiler. It's just he he's playing he's playing catcher here, and he's he's holding the baseball as like a a player is running towards him. You know, as as you do in baseball. Ethan took a deep breath. He smelled the tar and butter smell of the oil Jennifer T had used to soften up his glove. He smelled cut grass and Kool-Aid and hot dogs with ketchup. He could see the green ribbon of the outfield and the long shadow of the bleachers. He heard the scrape of the oncoming cleats in the dirt of the base path. He heard his heart beating behind his chest protector. Without even looking, he could see the angels running wild on the bases. The angels, his baseball team. He could see his teammates standing and jumping and yelling and staring in at home with their hands on top of their caps as if to hold them on. He could hear the ragged horse cheering of his father in his XL Ruth's fluff and fold rooster's jersey. He could see Jennifer T coming halfway down the hill, glove on her hip, believing in him. Ethan got knocked down. When he stood up again, his mouth was full of dirt. He'd taken a knee in the eye and his nose was bleeding, but he was still holding on to the ball. That really transports you. Right? It's like this moment that you feel. I think that this is this is like part of the the idea he's trying to get across in Summerland um, is that like the storytelling that we do with mythology is the same sort of storytelling we do with sports or you can accept with sports. I mean, with baseball, I think it's interesting because baseball, I mean, totally other tangent, but it's like baseball has like a very strong nostalgia theme in it, which I think Michael Shambon also entertains in all of his sort of books, this idea of past and trying to live in the past and capturing something that happened to you a little while ago. And sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. I would say on a larger context. So um, I'm just pulling right from the Wikipedia page because they say it very succinctly and then I can work off of it. Um, <laughs> Michael Shabon's work is characterized by complex language. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I will editorialize on the Wikipedia page <laughs> I didn't say that. Um, the frequent use of metaphor along with recurring themes, including nostalgia, divorce, abandonment, fatherhood, and most notably, issues of Jewish identity. He often includes gay, bisexual, and Jewish characters in his work. So, first of all, like all of those themes were things that I identified very heavily with, for especially the ones of Jewish identity and seeing Jewish characters just like doing shit. Explicitly Jewish characters, I would say. I, I know that we've gotten to the point where it's like Jews are a minority that can be like have been accepted in a popular culture because of whiteness, of course, but it's like have been able to uh, have stories told. I mean, 
the movies of Woody Allen are kind of like was acceptance to be like a nebbishy sort of Woody self insert Woody Allen. He sucks, but it's like this. It's been accepted in the popular culture since the 1960s in this way. Right. But it's like being explicitly and like three dimensionally Jewish is was something really interesting to me, and also like combining it with gay and bisexual characters because like that was the life that was happening to me in NYU. Like I had gay and bisexual and queer friends, and I had friends of all different like creeds and races and things that they believed in. And like, oh, this is like my life is diverse, and like so are these books that I love. Uh, also, these themes like popped up for me a lot, like. I mean, my parents have also split up and divorced in this way. And I mean, I don't necessarily connect with his whole idea of fatherhood because he is older than I am, but because he's 55 (laughs) and I'm 27. But I I got a lot of that, especially when I was reading Mysteries of Pittsburgh. It's really interesting. This guy, Art, doesn't know what he's doing with his life. He's just kind of like graduating from Carnegie Mellon. And his dad is like, he's an egghead for the Italian mob. So he's like the Jew in the Italian mob, which is like very resonant and like, Again, being larger than life, even though you're just kind of like an accountant that got mixed up with all of these people, and then it becomes like a story to tell other people. I just really connected with all these themes. And a big thing, so these two books that Michael Chabon is known even more so, like I chose two books that I love, but his other two books are The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which he won the Pulitzer for, and that is an amazing, amazing novel, and I love it in a different way, that showed like two uh, guys who created like a Superman-esque comic book hero called the escapist and like the rise and fall of the comic books industry and also what happened to these two totally different jewish boys turning into men one was an immigrant from eastern europe and the other was living in new york and then they converge in like the 1950s and go from there so this like very large really big jewish uh literary fiction novel and then he also wrote this noir novel called the yiddish policeman's union which is set in an alternate universe where Israel is not where it currently is in the Middle East, but it was actually Alaska, which was a government idea that was being kicked around kind of a, a kind of a, a lot in the in the early 1940s, which I thought was super interesting. So it combines my idea of like what I love is alternate history, like very Philip Rolfe kind of like the plot against America sort of thing. And then it's also a noir book, which is explicitly <laughs> about Jews. Like the entire plot revolves around bringing the Messiah back and like breeding a red heifer, which is like a whole other thing. You should listen to spirits and I will definitely talk to talk to them about that on there. But Michael Chabon has been very explicit about writing genre fiction. So let's talk about noir or, or every single type of fiction. Like let's talk about noir. Let's talk about um, there was like a like an Arabian Nights sort of style book called Gentleman on the Road, which I didn't really like, but I kind of like the idea that you could just like write a genre piece and there are Jews everywhere. Right. Um, and he's written a ton of essays uh, and speculative fiction about this one where it's like a very old Sherlock Holmes has to like, like an elderly Sherlock Holmes has to break. I didn't never read the final solution, but it's like an elderly Sherlock Holmes and like his, his like young sidekick has to like figure out like an old Nazi plot in like the 1980s is wild. <laughs> I, I've never read it, but I think that's what it's about. But I just love the idea that you could put Jews in everything. Right. And it you can also write in different kind of genres and it still can be taken seriously. Do you feel like in some ways that's influenced how you view almost a permission to exist no matter what, no matter where, and do whatever you want to do? Oh, absolutely. And we've talked about this on um, your other podcast, and I am here, 
and you know i i run a dungeon and dragon podcast and i talk about like the permission of different types of men to be involved in dungeon and dragons is like there are only permissions for like two different types of guys there's like a will wheaton kind of type of guy who is like charismatic but pointed in a way and then there's like the classic nerd who's just like introverted and like wants to play with his friends in his basement and is like kind of a misanthrope but it's okay but I'm like I feel like I'm very much like not included in those two places like in popular culture and in the things that I do and I care about but these books have kind of given me permission to live my life and be this this person who creates and exists in in the stories that people tell that's beautiful thanks I talk on microphones a lot (laughs) but I I I love that that Shabon has I don't want to say that Shabon has given that to you because that takes away your sense, but it's a beautiful thing that Shabon has introduced you to that concept of that permission uh, at such a young age as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess I didn't realize it at the time. I mean, it's funny. I found Summerland and then I'm like, oh, look, this guy wrote the same thing as like the guy when I picked up Mysteries of Pittsburgh I'm like oh this guy wrote Summerland like I should read more of his stuff and then it just so happened I, I as I worked my way through Michael Shabon's bookography it's like I didn't I didn't know what I was doing and it just so happened it's funny because now he's writing about fatherhood and it's like he's written two or three books now about fatherhood it's like nah I don't, I don't care it's like I wish that my life mapped a little bit more on top of his on top of his books now but I, I guess I, I will eventually get there, and I think it'll, it will eventually be. It's like waiting for me, like the next stage of my life, I think, it is kind of sitting there. It's funny, there's a third book uh, uh, that he doesn't... The third book in, in the trilogy of things that I cared about, there was a book called Wonder Boys, and the the character was like this misanthropic, like 45-year-old um, creative writing teacher in like who also was at this working at this like quasi Carnegie Mellon. He also loves writing about Pittsburgh and my dad is from Erie, Pennsylvania. So there's also this like mythical like Midwest quality that I have, which is like not true, but I, I think that I always kind of felt that way about Pittsburgh, not not being from there. It's funny. So in that one, it's all about like the creative writing field and like people just like how this like wild, like kind of and yet jaded at the same time story about just like being a novelist and a professor and it's like this is also kind of what I wanted when I was in my early 20s like yeah I'm gonna be a novelist and then I'm gonna like be jaded and write about random stuff whenever I want and it's gonna be like my life it is gonna be weird so it's like I had this trilogy of things like I had Summerland which is like opening I was it's like I could be a kid and opening up this idea of stories I had mysteries of Pittsburgh where it's like I'm in college and a story can happen to me and then it's like this speculative version of myself is like in the future I will be a writer and these these wild but like grounded in reality story could happen to me as well and then it's like I had I could really live live out like these stories that were related to my past or identity with Cavalier and Clay and Yiddish policemen too. And now the the new one is called Moonglow, so it feels like, which is like a combination memoir slash story, is like a a Michael Shabon in a very sort of uh, Jonathan in a very Jonathan Safran Foer sort of way. He writes about himself and his grandpa, like is is like heavily medicated and about to die, and tells all these stories about um, like World War Two and post Holocaust life, which is interesting in its own way. I mean, it's it's a very like beautifully written sort of dreamy idea of uh 
like Jews in World War II. Not like they don't explicitly, they, it's more about like being in the war and stuff like that, like American Jewry in the 1940s, but still just as interesting. I find it really fascinating that you have all of these books that kind of can touch in different parts of your life. And one of the things I want to talk about a little bit more is how you said right now you don't connect with his books about fatherhood, but those books are almost waiting for you for when you are at that point in your life. And I think that's a really neat thing that you expect to be able to continue to follow Shabon's work as you grow older and as you are able to connect more and more with this author's work. Do you, do you really feel like that's because he's laid this foundation for you of, of connection that you feel is going to hold you through? That's a good question. I guess I, I'm hoping for it, you know? I mean, I, I feel a little more disconnected from this guy as he's aged and really leaned into um, his fatherhood part of his life, which is like, I can't hold that against him. I mean, again, he's 55, he has four kids, and his relationship with A.L. Waldman, which, I, again, I will absolutely get to because it's also kind of important to me, is very strong and the way that they're like... here. Okay, here's a good example. I also, to demonstrate how much I love Michael Chabon, he was in a punk group in Pittsburgh when he was in his 20s, and it's called The Bats. And a little while ago, I found an LP of this demo that they cut, and of course, because I am a big weirdo, I bought it, and it is now hanging up in my room. So I feel like I connect to this version of Michael Chabon when he was in his, in his 20s and 30s, and but now it's like he's aged out of it. And I like to hope that I can, my life path reconnects to his. You know, like he, I, I bought his like collection of stories slash memoir about fatherhood and I started reading it and I'm like, I don't get any of this. Like I don't understand. And especially because in Mysteries of Pittsburgh and, and uh, in some of his other early work, there's a lot of talk about like fatherhood and what it means to be like, if your dad is not great and how do you deal with it? And I'm like, well, you know, that's something that I could kind of get my head around and like understand. Um, and something that kind of spoke to me, but it's now it's like he's on the other end. He's trying to do the fathering and like being a good dad and like what it means to be a dad. And I'm like, I'm just not there yet. Right. But like, I hope so. So tell me about uh, about Waldman and sorry, repeat the pronunciation because I'm pronouncing it. I yell it. I yell it. Yeah. Uh, I yell it. Yeah. Israeli name. So just give it your best shot. Okay. Thank you. So, Michael Chabon was married to a poet earlier in his life that I think he kind of wrote about her in Mysteries of Pittsburgh, and now he's had this relationship with this writer, Ayala Waldman, for a while. She's really great. She's written, I think she's currently writing, or she did write, this um, memoir of how she used to, like, microdose LSD, and she's really great. I follow her on Twitter. She's, like, a real fucking firecracker in a way that, like, not in, like... A drug, not in like a reductive way, like in a very true sort of way, which I love. But uh, notably, she's they're both writers and they have this really, I guess, from the outside, strong relationship. And I, the, the link I just sent you, they're together, they're adapting um, the Yiddish Policeman's Union together for TV, which one, I'm fucking excited about. And two, like, I love that they're doing this together. Like, this is amazing. Like, what a, what a strong, amazing, like, Jewish couple who live in Berkeley and have four kids that are, and now they're like bringing a novel written by one of them to TV together. Like, I, I love it so much. And I guess in, in Michael Shimon's work, he talks about divorce a lot. And now he like has built this amazing marriage. And like, my parents got divorced, and I don't have a lot of really great um, 
stable romantic role models. Right. You know what I mean? Is like my parents broke up when I was in fifth grade, so I kind of like missed out on seeing like what a in my formative years looked out like what a stable relationship looked like in front of me. Yeah. And I, I think about that a lot when and think, thinking about like the the people that I've looked to that like demonstrate stability in this way. Like I relationships to me have always felt like very precarious and like the ultimate it's for uh just looking at my parents i mean three three out of five of their marriages have fallen apart and i guess i'm counting both of theirs together as two but whatever so it's like seeing this very awesome couple working together i mean it's, it's just really great like i i love that it makes me happy yeah and i guess like I, i'm kind of of course i'm projecting myself but it's like i like to compare them i mean in my head, I had Jonathan Safford Foer and Michael Chabon together. They both wrote about like vaguely Jewish things, and they were coming up at the same time. And then when I was in college, Jonathan Safford Foer was a really big deal. He was teaching at NYU, and I was also reading and rereading uh, Mysteries of Pittsburgh a lot. So you have Michael Chabon on one side, who's like married to Ayelet Waldman and like kicking ass, and then you have Jonathan Safford Foer, who's like trying to sabotage Natalie Portman's relationship. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> It's like you, I, I have these two juxtaposed authors who occupy the same space in my head. So they made very, uh, it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Why should everybody else check out Michael Chabon's work? Like, what? why is his work important to others, to the greater world, to me? Mm, okay. I would say, I guess this is, it feels like a book recommendation thing to me. Because, I mean, I don't want to... I feel like you might have people come on here and be like, the thing that I care about the most is very important to the world and has changed the world in this way. And it's like, I don't want to say that Michael Chabon is one of the most prolific authors and like important authors to me in the 21st century, but like, I don't want to say that on behalf of everybody else. Mm -hmm. I think like, these are just really fucking good books and they're very good genre books as well. I mean, if you want a noir book, you need to read The Mysteries of Pittsburgh. And it also, like, if you love alternate history, you need to read Mysteries of Pittsburgh. If you love comics and you love comic books, but you, like, you need to read The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. But also, it won a fucking Pulitzer. <laughs> so, like, if you want to read a good book, read it. Like, if you if you really like early college, like, nostalgia-y, like, early 20s books, I mean, Mysteries of Pittsburgh is amazing. I've read that book so many times. And I finally started writing in it. I gotta send you, I will send you a photo. I would of love my that. Copy. He, um, I also did a very early 20s thing was like I let a girl who I was just hooking up with read it and write in it and I'm like oh I'm like why did I do that I, as soon as I got it back I'm like this was a bad idea I only <laughs> hooked up with her with a few times and her nickname was book girl she didn't even like get a name for my friends yet <laughs> um, <laughs> but of course I let her write in my favorite book of all time which was stupid but now I have like this artifact of something that I like I absolutely did because I was a doofus when I was 21 but it kind of fits with the themes of like exactly yes exactly which is why I love so it. that that suits it perfectly. I would love to see photos. I will send photos because also like she said she found out like a bunch of dumb shit that I think is wrong and stupid. She's like a reporter in like California now and she's very smart. But it's like <laughs> but it's like I look at it and I'm like, you totally missed the part. You totally missed the part of this book that I love. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's just like it's funny if 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 you want to watch a weird movie with Robert Downey Jr. in it, like I will send you the link to like I will send you a link on Netflix to Wonder Boys. Like, these are just really good books, and I think that you will really like them, and they're not 
problematic, I promise. <laughs> like, I mean, sometimes there is. I mean, I think that Mysteries of Pittsburgh also in a very early 20s sort of way, like the main character, Art, he like kind of dabbles in bisexuality and like doesn't understand like how two men can hook up. And then like one of the characters is like very like the girl who he's hooking up with is like very like can't wrap her head around like homosexuality in this way that you that like this person could ex could exist in the late 80s early 90s right uh, but and it's not like she she feels real she feels like a real person and i it's not like problematic it's like grating but and at the same time like he continues to hook up with her and it, it's complicated and murky in the way that you are in your early 20s yeah or like i hope that i won't be <laughs> when i reach 30 so i think that there's like a lot of there's a lot of well-rounded characters in this and it's unobjectionable in a lot of ways, which I think is just like good to start with when you want to read a book. And I mean, it's from a perspective that I really care about and I feel like spoke to me a lot. Um, I know it's complicated because I am like a straight cis white male, but I mean, I felt still felt pegged in by uh, toxic masculinity in a bunch of different ways. And I mean, looking for rep good representative Jewish characters also made me happy. Yeah. So it's like it can really hit a lot of different ways if you, and you can, I will recommend these books to you people for so many different ways i mean the, the book that came out there was one telegraph avenue which like all about like living in berkeley in like the 70s which is like cool in a different way moon glow is also very good so it's like he, he keeps writing i mean these books are just awesome yeah that's interesting you should read yiddish policeman's union it's it's yeah awesome. is that the first one i should read i think so i think that like coming at it from a genre like I don't want anyone to read Pit unless like you're really like a like a real fucking like literary ass person who like lives in New York City who I knew a ton of. Like I think maybe you can read Mysteries of Pittsburgh and like not hate it from the jump. But it's like if you know like where this guy went and what he becomes and like reading some of his genre pieces. I mean he is known for Mister for Cavalier and Clay and like his his ability to take genre and turn it into other things. Right. So I really I really think. Yiddish Policeman's Union for okay. you would be a great place to start. All right. I will. I'm going to. Yeah. Do it. After months of waiting, I was actually unable to take the Yiddish Policeman's Union out from the library. I was the 15th person in line on hold. So finally fed up, I went and bought myself a copy. It's thrilling and exciting, but also explores some of the darker parts of the world's history. I needed to set the book down for a while after finishing it, and I'll probably give it a second read to really give myself the time and energy needed to absorb it all, but I would absolutely recommend this to anyone. The story is deeply character-driven, and the characters themselves felt like they could be real people. And of course, since it's Michael Chabon, his prose is delightfully lyrical and dramatic. The last thing that I want to know is... If you were to sit down for a coffee or a beer or something with Michael Shabon, what would you say to him? Oh, man. The thing is, he's like a real person. I know. <laughs> it's not like you're sitting down with J.R.R. Tolkien and be like, yo, so like, what the fuck's up with orcs, man? But it's like, <laughs> Michael Shabon exists. Like, he's 55. He lives in Berkeley. I could do this. Yeah. And hopefully I will in the future. I have a lot of questions about, I think about world building that I really want to ask him and where to start and how to make make sure that they're off uh, the world that your characters inhabit are authentic and real especially when you're pulling from historical sources or mythological sources as he is with yiddish policemen's union cavalier and clay i mean what is it how do you make 1950s new york authentic yeah how do you make uh, like the, the super i i kind of glossed over this but like the superhero the comics themselves in cavalier and clay are amazing 
Recently, I picked up this this um, anthology of comics that were made of the escapist, like of the superhero that he made in Cavalier and Clay. And it's wild, first of all. Oh, interesting. But second of all, it's like, yeah, th- this character is very resonant. I mean, the escapist, he, he's like a magician, but he also like, it's like a combination between Captain America and Johnny Quest, like from Cartoon Network, like in the, in the 90s. <laughs> Okay. Or no, that's even earlier from like the 1970s. So it's like he can, he's an adventurer and also like very American, but also like he's fucking Houdini at the same time. I love that. <laughs> it's just like the su- the superhero world building of that. Yeah. So like I would ask him a lot of questions about about world building. Yeah. And definitely. And I would ask him to sign my LP of his punk album. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just like right at the end of the like coffee beer, be like, hey, before I go. Before I go, do you remember how you, you were lead vocals <laughs> in this punk band? <laughs> and then I was going to sign it. And I think you would laugh. I honestly do. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved hearing about Michael Shabon. I have never read any of his work. Thank you for introducing Michael Shabon to me. I am happy to have done so. Michael Shabon is an American novelist, screenwriter, columnist, and short story writer, and recently even announced as the showrunner to the newest Star Trek installment, Star Trek Picard. As you heard, he's written a whole host of novels that have clearly had a profound effect on Eric, and others too. As mentioned, he's even won a Pulitzer. Michael Shabon's work has definitely captured my interest, and I already have several more of his novels on my library hold list. I must say that while his work can't have had the same profound impact on me as it did Eric, it really did bring me joy hearing about the impact that it did have on him and how it shaped his personal growth. And reading through Summerland and the Yiddish Policeman's Union, I can understand, at least tangentially, why. You can find Michael Shabon on Instagram at michael.shabon, and on the internet basically everywhere. As far as I can tell, he doesn't have Twitter or a personal website, but Wikipedia and Goodreads will find you his bibliography. And now, of course, it's time for the reverse roast. Eric Silver. If you recognize Eric's voice, that's probably because he's the GM on one of my favorite Dungeons & Dragons podcasts, Join the Party. Join the Party is a collaborative storytelling and role-playing podcast. That means that friends create a story together, chapter by chapter, that everyone from seasoned players to true beginners can enjoy. He most notably plays my two favorite NPCs, a gargoyle and a prince. (laughs) It should be no surprise to you by now how much Eric loves world building. Just as it'll be no surprise how good his world building is, he weaves beautifully rich, poetic, and absolutely silly stories for his players to explore and adventure, while still giving them the autonomy to affect the world and story that they're playing in. That's what any GM in a tabletop game should be striving for. And if D&D isn't your thing, Eric also co-hosts a basketball podcast with his friend Mike, which is a ridiculously fun show where they mostly talk about the drama of the NBA and not the actual games themselves. Eric is also part of Multitude, a podcast collective and consultancy especially known for its well-written and accessible resources in the podcasting industry. Eric really is super fun and nice and so full of life. He's got a good heart and he's a great supporter of independent podcasters. 
He is incredibly talented, and his work is absolutely worth giving a listen to. You can find Eric on Twitter at L underscore Silvero and his shows at Multitude.Productions. Links are in the show notes. Honey Roast is co-produced by Tess Kokio and Julia Schifini, edited by Tess Kokio and Julia Schifini, with sound design by Julia Schifini. Special thanks to our creative consultant, Will Williams. Our visual design and art assets are by Mandy Corcoran, and our theme music is composed by Emily E. Mayo. All music from this episode, apart from the theme music, is by Ryan Anderson and licensed under a Creative Commons license. Link is in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at HoneyRoastPod. Transcripts for every episode can be found on our website, HoneyRoastPod.com. For even more Honey Roast love, check out our Patreon. By becoming a patron, you get access to bonus episodes, detailed show notes, exclusive merch, and so much more. For more details, go to Patreon.com slash HoneyRoast. If you can't support us financially, another fantastic way to help the show and spread the love is to recommend us to a friend or family member. We can only grow by sharing and caring. Oh, I love hearing you talk about the things you love, Eric. I am very enthusiastic about them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so great. It went so much longer than I expected, but that's okay. Yeah. That's totally okay. I, I heard you can edit podcasts now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can you? Thank goodness. I know. I Wait, are we live on the radio? Oh, no. <laughs> Shit. I swore. <laughs> oh, no. I swore so many times. Oh no, who's listening? Hello. Hello, uh, we're just going to throw, this is 104.3, The Edge, a classic rock station, <laughs> servicing all of New York City and Long Island. But talking about books, not rock. <laughs> this is weird, we just, we had a, we had a book section there for in a minute. I thought I put on a, a six, six Beatles songs in a row, but I, I got very confused. <laughs>